Hi, this is Design Lota, the podcast where we talk about life as Indian designers. I'm Sushi and I'm Angie. The end of 2017 is fast approaching and I feel like this year just went so fast. Yeah, I think the speed of each year is directly proportional to the average Wi-Fi speed that year. <laughs> yeah. So, are we going to do something like the year in design 2017? Wow, sounds like a lot to discuss. Maybe we could simplify it. Okay, here goes. Will robots officially take over our design jobs? Will there be new kinds of design jobs in the future? Will the gap between the rich and the poor continue to increase? Will our lives on the internet become more legitimate than our lives offline and will our memories be all stored in the cloud? <laughs> Is there any chance that global warming can be reversed? We don't have to eat plastic fish and all the <laughs> coral reefs don't die so we can still take up Vaishnavi Murthy's offer to learn scuba diving? Breathe, breathe sushi, breathe. <laughs> seems like a scary note to end the year on if you ask me mm, yeah i think uh, it all seems to boil down to ethics uh, maybe we should talk about how we as designers have a role in all of this should designers really care about ethics i mean who defines what is really ethical in our world which has practically got every shade of gray in the gray scale i think that's precisely why designers should care about ethics Uh in fact just this year uh, the Copenhagen letter for technology was drafted uh, by technologists designers philosophers educators um and artists this was at a conference called tech festival at uh, Copenhagen uh this letter which is actually a manifesto uh, it touches upon a lot of points uh, around taking responsibility as designers and builders of technology Uh one key point they made here is about moving from human centered design to humanity centered design. Yes, so that letter gave me some hope for the future. And also it's great to know that there are people reflecting on these important questions about our future as people and as designers. What do you think about the part about gleaning data without consent and uh, treating human beings as commodities? Well, you know what they say, Sushi, if everything is free, you're the product. But there's a fine line between invading someone's privacy and using their data to create or sell targeted products and services. That's true. Uh, you know, we designers have always been uh, all about the needs and wants of people. Uh, we talk about what gets attention visually, what makes someone click on a button. look at something or not look at something or uh, what compels uh, someone to buy a product um studying motivation and persuasion is like getting a hold of a treasure uh, if we are able to crack <laughs> it uh, but there are implications to our actions as designers yes like at what point does immersive become addictive and who should take responsibility for those consequences Some features can even be like digital hidden sugar in products, right? And uh, uh, they don't come with an ingredients label. Uh, algorithms deciding what you would like to see, or uh, or should I say, it's more like what someone else wants you to see, right? But as with any other substance abuse, it can be argued that the user still is the one who makes the decision to consume it. Hmm. So a manipulative algorithm is still something I can deal with. Something else that really shocked me though is that artificial intelligence can design a logo. Oh yeah, you told me about this. How does this work? So I came across a website where the AI asks you a bunch of questions about your brand and creates a logo for you. 
I tried it out just for fun and it was really mm. quite terrible. Okay. But I can see how uh, AI can get smarter over time and actually become okay at doing this. And people who are willing to settle for something mediocre and not that creative might find this cheaper. Mm. So this begs the question, uh, what is the future of our design jobs right. if there will be any at all? Yeah, that's such an important question. Uh, I think it was probably also asked during the Industrial Revolution. Deciding to employ an AI for, say, a logo uh, could be a cheaper, less time-consuming <laughs> and less complicated. Because <laughs> uh, you can't drive an AI designer up the wall with your last-minute small hundreds of changes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that just might be the real reason. But uh, yeah, there is something called technological unemployment where uh, loss of jobs are a consequence of advancements in technology. I think we really are at the brink of something like that. Yeah, that leaves people at the bottom of the food chain quite vulnerable. Mm. I can imagine how this contributes to the ever-widening gap between the rich and the poor. The good news, though, is that there are a lot of Indian designers getting involved with the handicraft sector. Mm. And this kind of uplifts and values the whole act of doing something skillfully by hand, which I think no amount of automation can replace. Yeah. Um, this is what I call design for good. You know, I've always found that term kind of funny, like design for good as opposed to what, right? <laughs> I don't think there's really a design for bad. Unless you're working for the mafia or something. <laughs> I think the term design yeah. for good is just pointing towards a deliberate effort to kind of take certain values into consideration, like sustainability, hmm. uh, responsible production, etc. And I believe this is, and I believe that this is a direction design should head in anyway. And uh, another way one could look at design for good is probably in terms of uh, designing for social enterprises or providing livelihoods to marginalized groups. Also, I think the flip side to this conversation is the question of why we consider a group of people in need of upliftment. Uh, sometimes we may just have to observe and learn from them and not sell empowerment to but them. But there are clearly some marginalized groups in our society and they're not exactly happy with their status quo. They may have aspirations and I think we need to make an effort to identify the issues that they deal with uh, to help level the playing field, like designing assistive devices for those with special needs. So selling empowerment isn't what we're really trying to do here. Um, but do you think it's okay that these assistive devices are being profited from? Profit may be one of the goals of the company selling these devices, uh, just like a supermarket would want to profit from selling food, right? Mm. But I think the very fact that they have spent time and resources in developing these products is a step in the right direction. Uh, this is where I feel that while it's important to design objects and experiences tailored to those with disabilities, the larger goal should be inclusiveness. Right. So there shouldn't uh, be a special category for those with special needs, but their needs uh, are to be taken into consideration while designing anything, right? Yeah. And when something is designed keeping inclusiveness in mind, it stands to benefit everyone and sometimes even gives way to new innovation. For example, an elegantly designed slope uh, to the entrance of a building could replace the need for having separate stairs and a separate ugly looking wheelchair ramp on the side that's kind of been forced into the layout. Hmm. I've seen a few really interesting ones. 
like the one in Alliance Frances uh, in Bangalore so maybe one of the key components of ethics is inclusiveness uh, speaking of inclusiveness uh, there are situations and spaces specifically designed to keep out certain types of people uh, creating an exclusive sort of club <laughs> are you talking about design conferences <laughs> Well I wasn't though I really think it could apply there as well. I'm talking about a very intentional design choice to exclude. Uh for example hostile urban architecture uh like say seats in public uh, places that are designed to be uh intentionally uncomfortable so that people don't lounge around for too long. Ouch. Um also one of the companies <laughs> I did a project with wanted me to design a reception area that was connected to the entrance in such a way that to visitors it seemed like an open office and gave them the perception that they could just walk in and walk out mm. but they actually couldn't see what was going on inside the building mm. and this was done because they had the issue of competitors uh, sending spies and stuff ah so but i i'm totally okay with this and i think the key mm. is visitors with good intentions not to feel unwelcome and intimidated but be cautious at the same time yeah You know another way to really inconvenience someone is planned obsolescence <laughs> uh like buying uh, a pepper mill which you can't refill so when the pepper is over you have to spend twice the amount of money and buy a new pepper mill <laughs> those ones have been flooding the shelves uh of late yeah. all in the disguise of convenience or smart packaging and i find this happening a lot with tech as well i buy a laptop with a year old technology and Two years later, it gets declared obsolete, <laughs> or sometimes yeah. even vintage. Hmm. <laughs> There's just one chip in there, just one part that changes everything. Yeah, I think that's also uh, a comment on how technology is changing rapidly. There is a market for people who want that latest feature to play with, and uh, sometimes putting it out there can result in more innovation uh, when we see people using it in mm-hmm. interesting ways. uh but i get where you're coming from where it feels like the new shiny thing is forced on you and uh, all your older gadgets become useless in like an instant yeah i still think the user should have a choice to keep using their product if they're satisfied mm. with its performance i'm sure there are ways th- to allow that to happen but companies may not uh, be able to profit as much perhaps uh profit is one of the reasons yeah but uh, maybe it's also a huge bother keeping track of all the versions fighting compatibility issues have you heard of the circular economy model it's all the rage now mm-hmm. though a large part of it is still theoretical in the indian context one of its aspects is designing products for longevity which means that uh, they are easily repairable and upgradable too so you don't design a product that you later have to figure out how to repair or upgrade hmm. you engineer those facilities in while designing the products itself wow that's quite fascinating i do feel that products are of lower quality these days to make room for the newer and better thing uh, just today i was discussing with some friends about how the previous generation had gas stoves that lasted uh, say 20 years or so but now the products really don't seem to make it that long That's so true. Uh, at a glance, especially these household appliances look a lot sleeker than they did ten years ago, with the so-called uh, modern designs. But really, just adding an outer shell of elegance and a bunch of 
extra features isn't helpful if the product conks off in no time right. and if it does conk off there are hardly any repair shops anymore thanks to this uh, consumerist culture where you just go out and buy the next thing right yeah also often these products uh, and i especially see this trend in india there are products that are marketed as made in germany or made in japan so there's this perception created among us indians that the quality and design must be undoubtedly great mm. and uh, many times these products don't work as well as they they should i recently had such an experience of buying a so called german sharpener from a kajal brand that promises uh, promotes the, themselves as very ethical mm. uh it just wouldn't sharpen evenly and it made a mess and my kajal pencil shrunk to a tiny stump uh, just after a few days with hardly any usage ah. so when i finally complained to the company about this they refused to believe me saying it was a german sharpener yeah that was their response and i even sent them a video to prove it but in the end they continued to insist that it was a german sharpener hence it was flawless <laughs> then they gave me a 10% discount on my next purchase maybe they just wanted you to gesture. sharpen it uh, often and uh, so that you go out and buy a new kajal right <laughs> it's just the worst funny thing is for the longest time i myself couldn't believe it was a problem with the sharpener because at the back of my mind i had this notion that hey it's german german products are flawless the truth is anything made by anyone can have flaws right. and while this is a small issue it's a lesson that we should be aware of these things and be able to call out the emperor's clothes and not just brush it aside true uh, it's not justified to market a product that doesn't work by saying it has superior design or it's from foreign <laughs> right <laughs> and uh, also you hear this term reputed company uh, what that used to mean was that the products are of uh, good quality but now i'm not so sure what it means anymore yeah when we bought a fridge from a reputed brand known especially for making fridges i didn't anticipate that in the very first week the freezer door would break wow do you think that was a quality issue yeah to be more precise uh, i think inappropriate material was used hmm. it was this thin plastic the same grade of stuff used to make those uh, transparent rulers that we used in school oh. why would they use such a weak material on a part that they knew was prone to stress and freezing hmm. so the first question on my mind was if this was poor material choice by the designer or negligence by the company yeah in this long journey from design to production our concepts uh, change a lot of hands but we must be aware of what eventually happens to our designs uh, when they do meet the person it was intended for mm-hmm. uh, while accepting the fact that sometimes it does go beyond our scope but we shouldn't stop noticing and uh, talking about it and yeah go ahead and do something about it if we can i've actually experienced times when i've designed something and once it's handed over to production those people make changes that they think will mm. bring down the cost but totally ruins the design or takes away from the user experience because they are not thinking about the user experience and when you confront them they just say no problem <laughs> of course there's a problem dude that's why we're <laughs> even having this conversation <laughs> Yeah there are so many business reasons uh, why we find a different product than what we envisioned 
and this might mean a compromise in quality and a lowered user experience i think here is where we as designers must learn to be stronger advocates of uh, design making business sense eventually at least do you think that this is already happening today getting a seat at the boardroom table so to speak yeah i think so uh, now we hear terms like designpreneur and uh, there are companies that have designers as founders and uh, they've used an empathy based approach which has led to business success so i do think change is on the horizon so basically we need a humanity advocate in higher places i guess and each designer thinking in this way and demonstrating the change it can bring uh, can make businesses believe in yeah, it yeah the more we are able to cut through to other so called non design layers of the whole decision making building and production processes uh, be it in the digital or physical world the more we'll be able to put that uh, human touch into it um i heard a line the other day that i uh, really loved design is too important to be left to designers <laughs> <laughs> so i think helping your organization think in the designerly way uh actually i don't even think we should reinforce the bubble by calling it the designerly way but uh, <laughs> just sharing uh, the tools that we've relied on um, you know in our design process like empathy mm-hmm. with other departments uh, can bring about some kind of change uh, we do see some companies lately openly making a decision to be uh, known as design driven or design led companies and i think that's a good thing So when you freelance or have your own design studio your business is pretty much design led you also get to take decisions like if you don't want to design say cigarette packaging or you don't want to rip off a design feature from another app but as a designer working for a larger organization where you're just one tiny cog how do you say no or uh, avoid doing such work mm, yeah I think how and if you would say no would depend on how serious the implications of your work are and what your own personal value system comprises of. Uh it helps if we equip ourselves as designers to have those difficult conversations mm-hmm. with uh, a client or a boss who wants that copied feature <laughs> and uh, go to the heart of why they want it and see if the deeper need around it can be addressed. Yeah, seeing from multiple perspectives and empathizing. After all, the client is human too. Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> uh, hey, listeners, how was the year in design for you? Did you face the ethical question in your design practice this year? And oh, do you like the Pantone color for 2018? Ah, ultraviolet. I don't like it yet, but maybe I could start to. Sushi, I wasn't asking you; I was talking to the listeners. <laughs> okay. So, listeners, do tweet to us at Design Lota and tell us all about it. You can find the transcript and references for this episode at designlota. dot com. We'll see you in 2018 in a brand new season of Design Lota, the podcast where we talk about life as Indian designers. Until then, bye. bye.